ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the water cooler. Are you having a lovely night? Good. Thank you all for coming out on such a freaking cold day. Um, did anyone see snow today? Good. <laughs> like how you were like, yep. You're not like, yes, exciting. Everyone's grumpy about it because it's meant to be spring. Um, you Welcome to the water cooler. This is a storytelling live recorded podcast. We are recording this right now. Um, the lovely Oliver Devlin on the, on the buttons over there. What a dude. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Applause for the text. Um, and uh, the theme for tonight's podcast is, was it something I said? And I've given that to the, our three speakers tonight, and they're um, welcome to interpret that however they wanted to, uh, and to you know just you know see what that inspired and to tell a story. Um, something I just want to flag at the beginning is that Auckland has got their water, <laughs> Auckland's got their water cooler tonight as well. So um, if anybody wants to tweet tonight and make it seem like ours is like the heaps cooler one. <laughs> Um, that is totally fine with me. Um, and the, the, the Twitter handle is NZ Water Cooler. Feel free to tweet during the show. I mean, listen, but, you know, feel free to tweet. It's fine. It's a casual show. Um, these guys are... Anna's probably going to be... Yeah, Anna's going to tweet during it. Uh, I think we're just going to crack into it and get into the first story for Was It Something I Said? Uh, our first speaker is an improviser, a, a gentleman about town, a librarian... Um, a wrestling fan. Uh, anything else I can describe you as? That's all of the things about this gentleman. He's going to tell us a story. His name is Johnny Paul. Uh, hi, everyone. Hi, me cooking dinner. Um, so like every, every child since the beginning of time, I was brought up on stories. Uh, and, and that sort of is how, as children, we grow and, and learn. Um, come in. Good to see you. Um, and it's how we justify things as children, right? It's like how things make sense. Um, and perhaps it's not every child since the beginning of time. Um, perhaps it's not. But, but that's my story, and it, and it makes the most sense to me. Um, because personally, I hold on to stories like a little bit too much. It's how I make sense of, of everything in the world around me, um, and that doesn't make me special um, because everyone does that. That's what religion is. Um, and so, so personally, when I started writing the story, uh, I, I got out my laptop and I was trying to write it word for word, um, and it kind of ruined my day um, because it's not a good thing that happened to me. It's, it's, it's not fun. Um, I don't know that it's like enormously bad, but for me, it's, it's not a good time. Um, and so I sort of, I spent like two or three hours writing this thing, and it was just ruining my afternoon. Um, and so I just sort of started jotting down notes, um, and I'm going to do it from this, um, because you all seem like really nice people, um, but you're not worth ruining a Sunday afternoon over. Um, <laughs> Um, but what I will do is I, I've delineated the story a little bit. Um, so it's like Memento or the episode of Home and Away where Haley and Bo and like do drugs in Irene's house. Um, so, so, so this actually happened to me yesterday. Um, so I work at Newtown Library, as we said, and that's, that's going to come up a few times. That's Chekhov's Newtown Library. Um, and... Uh, so I was helping someone use the photocopier. And it was a, a lovely man who needed to photocopy some legal documents. And while I was doing that, I was, I was shaking. 
um, and I was sweating and my heart is just going a thousand, a thousand beats per minute. Um, not really, but, um, and I was very uncomfortable and felt very, very unsafe. And the reason that that was is because um, sitting about two or three metres away from me was an individual who I am supremely afraid of. Um, this is a person in my life who terrifies me. Um, and this is a story about what happened when I first met this person. So it was the week before Christmas, um, and I needed to do Christmas shopping. Um, and, so, and so it was a bright Sunday uh, morning, uh, and my girlfriend and I, we wanted to walk into town, uh, and I needed to get some, some presents for my family who live in Christchurch. Um, so we did that, and um, I live in Newtown, which is near where I work at the Newtown Library. Um, and we were sort of, and we're standing uh, the pedestrian crossing, um, sort of the lights by the countdown. And I remember looking up at the countdown lights, and, and the lights on the countdown, one of the two of them is always out. Um, and I remember thinking that there must be some sort of anti-cunt fail-safe because, because someone's got to do that, right? Um, and when I was, I was thinking this, someone like, pushed me in the back, um, and it wasn't so much like a push, it wasn't to get like, to the front of the thing, it was like a hit, so someone like, punched me in the shoulder. Um, and this was, this was quite shocking to me on a, a Sunday morning so, so close to Christmas, uh, the happiest day of the year. <laughs> Um, and, and I looked across, and it was, a, a, it was a, just a man wearing sunglasses, and we sort of exchanged a look, um, and, then, and then the light turned green, and we walked off. And I, I got very in my head about this. As I said, I'm very into stories, and I was, I was thinking, what is, the, what is this person doing? Like, it was, it was obviously a very deliberate thing to do. Uh, it, wasn't, um, it, it wasn't accidental. It was someone who, who wanted to punch me in the shoulder on a Sunday afternoon. And so I was thinking to myself, I was like, what should I have done? What do you do? Do you, do you stand up for yourself around people? This person's trying to get a reaction. Do you give them the, reac the reaction? And so as we walked sort of up past the countdown, up towards Toifakari, um, I was, apologies to my girlfriend, but I was pretending to listen, but I was thinking about what the, was the perfect thing to say um, in this situation. And I sort of ran all the numbers through my head. And what I came up with was, this is, this is good, everyone. This is good. I, what I came up with was, you all right, mate? <laughs> it's like perfectly Kiwi. It's like a little bit accusatory, but not so confrontational. You could like, in like a court transcript, like no one's going to be like, oh, this person was after trouble. Let's, let's, let's go 50-50 on this. And so, and so I came up with, with you're right, mate. Um, and this was going to be my, my armour, this was my defence. And so, so if this was going to happen to me in a long time, and maybe in the future, you're right, mate, was going to be my weapon. It was going to be my weapon of choice. Um, and sort of as we cross the, the, the pedestrian crossing to go to the other side of the road, as we go over the hill, I don't know what any of these streets, I think one of them is called John Street. Um, as we go over there, um, I began to notice that the person um, who was... Who, who, had, who I had shared this look with um, was walking across the grass up the hill. So we were following, I'm sorry, podcast listeners, we were so following like a sort of a curvature and he was walking along the grass to cut us off. And say what you will about this individual, um, he had Pythagoras down. Um, <laughs> because because he, he gets to the, the point where we would meet uh, on the footpath before, before myself and, and my girlfriend do. Um, 
And so I'm like a, a little bit worried at this point. This is a slightly strange thing to do, but, but slightly strange things happen all the time and don't eventuate into anything. Um, but this time it did, and, and this person stood in the, in the middle of the footpath um, just facing us. Um, and I remember him very distinctively because he was wearing camo pants. Um, and I would have normally done like a wicked bit where I pretended he was a floating torso. Um, but I was like quite anxious and, and a little bit afraid at this point, so I couldn't rip that zinger off. Um, and he had, he had wraparound sunglasses on, um, like he was Stephen Fleming at first slip. Um, and he had like a faux hawk. And the faux hawk is something that I remember because um, when I was describing this man to the police, um, the police did not know what a faux hawk was. <laughs> and so genuinely, cop cars were circling Newtown looking for Sid Vicious because they, they had no idea that I was not describing like a man with, with a half meter high mohawk. Anyway, so, so, this, so I'm about, about five meters away from this, this person um, and he's standing there. Um, he's like a little bit shorter than me, but a bit of a stocky, stocky chap. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is a situation I'm, I'm not in very often. I'm not a particularly confrontational person. Um, but I had armed myself just previously. You'll, you'll remember. Um, and so, so this was my opportunity to use my, you're right, mate? Um, and so I did. I, I, walked, I walked towards him. And he didn't, he didn't move to block me, which, which I'm thankful for, and I sort of went, went round him. Um, my girlfriend went on the other side, and I said, you all right, mate? And I, and I walked away. Um, and that was when uh, I, I heard something from behind me, and I was kind of hoping that someone else could, could do this bit. So, excuse me, you're in the front row. Thank you so much. Um, what was your name, sorry? Kathleen. Kathleen, you need to come up because of the microphone. Um, so Kathleen, you're going to be this gentleman. Okay. Um, so, so they're numbered off. Um, I hope you don't mind swearing. No, no. no. Cool. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll just indicate to you a number, and then I just want you to read that line, okay? Okay. So as I'm about 10 metres down the road, I, 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 hear, I hear this. You trying to start a fight, mate? Oh, acting. Very nice. <laughs> so good. Um, and, and, and in short, no, no. I've never been in a fight in my life. Um, one time I was playing keyboards with my band um, and like a drunk person like stumbled towards my keyboard and I like pushed him away because I thought he was going to fall on my keyboard while I was playing like Summer of 69 or something. Um, and he fell down and I just felt so horrible that I like stopped playing and just like helped this person or, uh, like up and like he was quite like quite drunk and so I got him to the bar and I just felt so bad. So, so in short, I, I, was, I was no, I was not, not trying to start a fight. Um, and, but, I, but what I did do at that point was I stopped and I probably shouldn't have stopped. This is, this is where I, I may, may have dropped the ball. Um, but the gentleman approached me um, and then he, he continued and he said this. You all right, mate? You all right, mate? Well, are you fucking all right? I'd been undone, hadn't I? <laughs> I thought I'd, I had the perfect response in, in you're right, mate. But he'd dropped an F-bomb and, and, and undone all my good work. Um, and so I thought I, I was, uh, I was, I thought I was, had, had this bulletproof response, but I, but I didn't. Um, and so, and the, but the person continued. Fuck you, you fucking 
fucking piece of shit, I'll fucking kick your head in, you cunt. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so again, it just sort of continued on. You, you can drop all the your right mates that you want, but when someone <laughs> plays the fucking cunt card, it's, there's not much you can do. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah. Okay. I've sworn a lot already, so... Oh, okay. Okay, and, and, and then this person continued. Fuck off. Fuck uh, off. Sorry. Right. <laughs> so it just told me to fuck off a lot. Um, thank you so much, yeah. Um, so so I, was really, I was really happy when I got the fuck off um, because that was an invitation. Like, I could, I could leave then. What had, what had happened, it happened, and, and so, I, so I left. Um, but I was, I, was pretty, I was pretty shaken. I was not in a good space after that. Um, it's not a nice situation. But what was most difficult for me was I just couldn't reconcile what happened. I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know why this person decided to do that. I, I, I analyzed myself quite, quite intensely um, for the following weeks. Um, like, did I, did I do something wrong? Like, I had a man bun at the time. I've since cut that off. <laughs> Um, I, don't, I don't wear my stripy t-shirt so much anymore. Um, but I just sort of so looked at myself, and that was why I think this caused such like, an enormous issue for me, because I, just, I didn't know why this happened. How, how could a person come to you on a Sunday afternoon? Like, if this happens on a Saturday night on Courtney Place, I don't, I don't blink. This happens. But on a Sunday morning by Toy Fakari on a bright, sunny morning. When this happens, the story just, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, there's a, so I work at Newtown Library and there's a security guard at Newtown Library um, and, and she is the most incredible woman in the world. She's like, she's kind of like Denzel Washington from Training Day <laughs> and that she like walks both sides of the law like, like in an incredible way. She's like, 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 looks after us and looks after the patrons so well, but then also has a bit of a mean streak. Um, and the reason that I bring her up is that um, at the end of every incident report, she always writes, some people are just bad, I guess. <laughs> so if someone is spitting at people in the library, she'll fill out an incident report, and at the end it will say, some people are just bad, I guess. <laughs> Um, if, if someone is like, like, like yelling at, at patrons, fill out the incident report, some people are just bad, I guess. Um, and we had something that happened recently was that a person in there was listening to Bible verses really loudly on their phone. <laughs> so she filled out the incident report. <laughs> and then some people are just bad, I guess. Um, but... but um, I don't believe that. I don't even like a little bit believe that, that some people are just bad. That's, that's not a, a good story. Um, and it's not what stories really are, which is like empathy and sympathy. That's why we tell ourselves stories, um, so that we can understand different things. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't even believe that. Um, and so I see this, I see this gentleman around uh, quite a lot in my everyday life. He, he comes into the library um, quite often, at least once a week, um, and it still absolutely terrifies me. It terrifies me that a person can just take away my safety and the rule of law that we're told so fervently that, that we are safe if we do everything right. Um, this person 
absolutely terrifies me. And it's okay, like, I don't know, maybe he was just having a bad day or, 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 or maybe it's just something else that I, I don't know about, but I still feel, feel really bad, but like, there's nothing I can do about it. So I don't know what to do from here. Um, but there was one, one particular thing that happened, um, which, is that, which is that we did have a, another encounter. Um, I don't know if he knows who I am. I, I have absolutely no idea. He never takes his sunglasses off. Um, he like, sw like swears under his breath. Like this, this guy's like the Terminator, man. Like, like genuinely, he's like a very, very scary individual. Um, and at Newtown Library, we have security gates. Um, I don't know why, because if you want to steal a book, you can steal a book. Um, okay. Um, and, um, and, and, so, and, so, and so I, was, I, was, um, I had my backpack on. I was about to go home for lunch. And so I said goodbye to Junior, and I said goodbye to Esther. Um, and I was heading for the door, and this man was coming in. And he must have seen, looked up and seen me because he stopped in the middle of the security gates. Um, and security gates, for all of their great blessings, are not a place that two people can, can walk past each other. And so, so I froze. I had absolutely no idea what to do. Do I, do I just turn around, pretend I'm going somewhere else? Do I ask this person to move? I'm, I'm very, very scared at this point in, in my own place of work. Um, but thankfully, uh, I didn't have to do this uh, because from behind this gentleman, uh, uh, I, hear, I heard, out of the way, it's Cook Straight News Day. <laughs> and there's, 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 if there's one thing and one story that I know for certainty, it's that people love the Cook Straight News. Um, because they only released like three or four of these a, a, a week, as far as I could tell. They're like they're like De Boer's Diamonds or like the Disney Vault. They only like led out a, a few, um, um, and so so this, this this person had to move, and this beautiful beautiful old lady just walked through for her Cook Straight news, and um, I was a, I was able to avoid uh, a situation that I was really really not looking forward to. Um, so this isn't a story about how I learned something or how my life was changed. Um, this isn't a story about how I've, I've come over, I've gone through a horrible experience and now, and now I know what to do in this situation. I still have absolutely no idea. I still feel unsafe um, when this person's around. Um, but I guess I just did the only thing that I, I, I can do, which is that I made you guys listen to it. <laughs> Because at the end of the day, I guess I turned it into a story. Thank you. Give it up for Johnny Paul. What a great time. Oh, oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I've been sitting here trying to think about things that I can tell you a little bit about that are to do with the theme because that's what I do and I don't plan things. Um, but uh, I, um, I had this flatmate a few years ago who I only lived with him for about six months and within about two months, for some reason, I don't know what it was, she stopped speaking to me. Now, this was a two-bedroom flat <laughs> with four people in it. 
And she managed to never speak to me, like, like pretty much ever again. And I have no idea what I did. Uh, I ended up just living in this house where I would, I would come out to the kitchen to eat and then hide in the bedroom and stay on my computer in there. And if I had to, like, venture into the lounge when she was there, it was terrifying. Um, and, like, she wasn't threatening. She wasn't scary. She was just silent. And, like, to the point where I would say, good morning, and there would be nothing. Um, and it, it, actually, it became like a really, really, really tense flat. But the best thing that ever happened, best in that I get to tell people about it now, um, one, one night in an effort to sort of broach the, the divide and, and, and make things better, I, I, I texted everybody and said, I'm cooking dinner tonight. I'm going to cook dinner. And I cooked this big roast lamb and I made potatoes and gravy and all these things. And the four of us sat down and ate this meal and it was a great time. And I was quite proud of myself and I was like, this is good. We're doing really well. This is nice. And then the next day, she, hopefully will never listen to this. She, she made a cake, like a, like a baked New York cheesecake. And it took her ages and it was amazing and like me and my partner had been like going, oh my god look at that that's amazing that's incredible and just been in awe and then we'd all had dinner and then the two of them she and her partner had these big slices of cheesecake just the two of them <laughs> and then and we said nothing and I was like I'm not going to say anything because my, my cooking dinner was a gift and I was not, like I wasn't doing it to get shit back. I just wanted her to talk to me. And I was like, it's fine. It's fine. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to say anything. And my partner didn't say anything either. And we were just like, everything's fine. And they had their cheesecake. They had second slices. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, everything's fine. And then... The, Later that night, the two of us were going to bed and we would, we'd brushed our teeth and we'd done our things and we're going to get in bed and we were just moving the blankets. And my partner turns to me and just goes, they didn't even offer us any. And I went, I know. And the two of us sort of dissolved into this, what the hell is wrong with them? Um, and just unleashed upon each other. All this sort of like, we were like, we're being so good. We're being so good not mentioning it. Um... Yeah, so uh, we moved out soon after that. Not directly related to the cheesecake, but we really just wanted our own space and it was great. And I have, uh, I have spoken to all the people I have lived with since, which has been very good. Uh, I also baked myself a cheesecake once and it was, Joe and I ate all of it and it was amazing. Um, okay, great. It's time for your second speaker. Uh, he is a very well-travelled man. He, um, I have known him for quite a while through improvisation, as I know most people these days. Um, uh, but he has a story for us, and um, his name is Ty Samaili. So unlike Johnny, I had to write mine down because I have the memory of a goldfish. So, um, In August 2006, I moved away from New Zealand. How exciting. Um, I was moving to New York City, uh, and all my friends thought that was very, very, very exciting. 
Um, but at this point in time, I had never seen an episode of Friends, so I had no idea what I was going to. Um, whenever I'd tell somebody that I was moving away, you know, they'd go, oh, are you excited? And to be honest, moving to a foreign country was, uh, and moving away from everything and everyone I knew was a little bit daunting. I had moved previously from Christchurch to Wellington, and so I knew what it was like to leave your friends. Um, and this time, so Christchurch is only 45 minutes away on a plane. This time I was moving 30 hours away, so I was sort of like, hmm. Uh, so while I was in the process of saying goodbye to everyone and all the things I loved, goodbye coffee, goodbye cafe I love, goodbye movie theatre, all my friends were out there organising going away parties and going, woohoo, let's have fun and see you later. Um, uh, at this point in time, I'd only ever been overseas once, and that was to Samoa. Uh, and to be honest, uh, it was only a week, and my impression of Samoa was it was just like a big South Auckland with <laughs> delicious mangoes and hotter and humid weather. So uh, it wasn't really much of a change for me. Um, now, the reason that I was going to New York, it sounds like I was dragging my heels. It was not. It was for love. Um, um, and I am a partner of a diplomat, or as I refer to myself, a diplomatic spouse. Um, and I'm proud to say that I still have the letter from MFAT, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade, that recognises me as a partner. They did that on the 17th of May, 2006. Um, and I was, uh, actually I hadn't realised that the government does that sort of thing, um, but I was really happy that my partner had said yes and the New Zealand government approved of my choice. So that was great. Um, at this point I was uh, new to being a diplomatic spouse because we were living in New Zealand and you don't need to do anything diplomatic when you're in New Zealand, you just do your own thing. Um, so... All I knew about being a diplomatic spouse was that I would need to communicate with people from different cultures uh, and maybe join a millinery group uh, where I can sip tea and talk about how wonderful my partner is and make hats for all those diplomatic occasions that I would go to. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm happy to say I never joined a millinery group. Um, so I don't have any hats. But um, I suppose I really can't talk much more about the secret life of a diplomatic spouse, uh, otherwise I'd have to kill everyone. Um, but I did purchase the dummy's guide to etiquette. So at least I could fake it when I was out over there. Um, for people who know me, my personal uh, weakness is small talk. I'm not very good at small talk. I'm quite literal, and I tend to be just to the point. Um, but this book was great. It taught me how to talk to people. Um, I learned not to talk about religion, don't talk about politics, and don't ask people what they do for a job, because I probably won't understand what they're talking about. Um, so I stuck to the good, safe topics, like the weather, uh, and New York is great, it has four seasons, so it has lots of weather. Um, and I usually talked about which subway line was the, voted the best in New York for that year. Um, which I think was the queue line most, most years. Um, 
I could probably talk a lot about it right now, but I won't. I won't. Um, anyway, so it was time for me to depart New Zealand. Um, I had stayed an extra six months. My partner had gone already um, because my grandmother was turning 90 and I didn't want to miss that. Um, and I also had a few uh, loose ends to tie up, like finishing work. So I was travelling from Wellington to New York by myself. How exciting. Um, the only thing I remember on the day that I left was ducking into a foyer on Mercer Street. Um, it was cold, it was rainy, it was winter, and I was cancelling my phone account. Um, and at this time, uh, this was before face. I didn't have a Facebook account. I, had, I think I had Bebo and MySpace. Um, <laughs> uh, so there was no, you know, messenger. Um, I, th I got my Gmail account at the beginning of 2006, but not all my friends had it because it was one of those invite-only things right in the beginning. Um, so I didn't have the Google chat thing going on with everyone. So my phone was like my lifeline to everyone because that was me texting and that was me calling. Um, so it was a big, a, a significant deal for me to cancel my phone. This was like, I'm cutting my ties, I'm leaving. Um, and it was also the first phone number I'd ever had on my mobile, and I'd chosen it in the shop, and it was a word number. It was 021-726-724, which uh, spells 021-RAMPAGE. Really cool number. Um, and... The e didn't matter, and the, the e at the end didn't matter in those days because nobody had a ten-digit number. So, um, so I was really sad that I was leaving my 021 rampage number behind. Um, anyway, the next thing I remember is arriving in San Francisco, and people had told me that uh, if you're flying to New York, you want to fly through San Francisco. Don't fly fly through LA because then you have to get off the plane and you have to toddle to another. Um, terminal and it just takes time and you have to work out which bus to get on and all this sort of stuff. Whereas San Fran, you get off, go through immigration, put your luggage into some conveyor thing and then walk on to the next plane. Well, that's how they explained it to me. What people haven't thought about was what it might be like to arrive um, in an immigration from a country that was a little bit unknown to the US people uh, with a funny uh, looking passport it was a diplomatic passport, and looking a little bit like a Latino. <laughs> um, it's, at one point while I was living in New York, somebody said, uh, you're too tall to be a Mexican, um, but you look more like a Brazilian soccer player, which I thought was a compliment. <laughs> um, but entering immigration, I thought I looked like a Polynesian New Zealander. Um, actually, looking back, it's a bit ridiculous because uh, I actually just look like a Polynesian. Um, the New Zealand bit was probably on the inside or when I opened my mouth. What made it a little bit worse was that I wasn't actually married to my partner at the time. So I had a letter from MFAT explaining that I was trying to stay for the full year, four years of this posting on a visa that was only for six months. Hmm. Uh, I arrive at the immigration booth, uh, funny passport, letter asking for something that was unusual, looking a little bit like a Latino, and to top it all off, at this point in time, I had shoulder-length dreads. <laughs> hmm. 
Um, I walk up to the booth, try to look friendly and approachable, but not overdoing it, so it looked like I was faking it. Um, I handed my passport and immigration card to the immigration officer. Um, he had a look at it, and then he asked the question that I had been dreading. Now, I had been practising this in my, in my mind and the line going up, but he said, so, how long will you be staying in the US? Um, at this point, I faltered a little, uh, because this was before I had acquired my New York attitude, as my friends say. Um, I handed him the letter from Enfat and said, I would like to stay for four years. <laughs> then silence. Uh, the officer looked at the letter. Uh, then he looked at me, then he looked at the letter, and then he looked at me. Uh, and then he said, sorry, I can't do anything here. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get kicked out of the country. Um, can you please go to that room over there at the far right, just beyond immigration? Oh my gosh, I'm getting sent to the room. <laughs> so he hands me back my documents, and I am suddenly that person that everybody else in the immigration line looks at and wonders, what infraction has that person committed? <laughs> Um, and it feels like I actually walk past every single booth on the way to the holding room. If you have never been into this room, well done. Don't go there. Uh, so I enter the room. Uh, at the far end of the room, there is a counter that runs from one side of the room to the other. Um, it actually reminds me of the bench, which a judge would sit behind. It's sort of slightly raised, and there are probably about five or six judges looking down on people. And in front of these judges is a line of people with documents in hand. And behind the line of uh, people, there are rows of chairs facing the judge's bench. So it's a little bit like a church facing a judge's bench. <laughs> and I do think I remember people were praying in the pews. So it didn't have a very happy vibe. Um, so I walk into the room and I note that everyone looks like me. And I'm, just to be clear, I'm not saying they all look like Polynesians. They all look a little bit like Latinos. Hmm. The instructions on the sign, just inside the door, say line up and wait to be seen. Um, so I'm faking that look of everything's okay, everything's fine, I'm going to be fine, uh, without looking scared or suspicious. Um, I join a line, everything is fine in the line, um, but I realise I don't have a mobile phone. So, if they decided to drag me off into that room, wherever that room is, uh, nobody would know. I'm currently somewhere where nobody could save me. But I have a diplomatic passport, so hopefully that will save me. Hmm. And my turn arrives, I present my passport and the letter from Enfat, and the judge looks at both. And then I tell him, I would like to stay for four years. Uh, my, the judge does the same thing as the officer does. Looks at the paper, looks at me, looks at the paper, looks at me, looks at the paper, looks at me. Like he didn't understand anything I said. He then indicates the pews behind me and asks me to sit down while he investigates this. So I go and sit down. I sort of try to physically distance myself from all the other people in the room, just in case that might help. 
Um, and now I'm in a room with no passport. Nobody knows I'm here, and I have no idea how long I'm going to have to wait um, and whether I'll catch my next flight. Uh, I want to stare at everyone, because um, this is like being in a real-life Border Patrol episode. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, I'm sort of the subject of the episode, um, and I don't want to look like that threatening guy who's staring at all the guards, wondering, are they going to beat me? Um, so after a long time, uh, it's probably most likely about 10 minutes, I'm called back to the front, and they politely say, I can't stay for four years. The visa only allows me to stay for six months. Would I like to stay for six months? I'm like, yes, please. Thank you. Uh, try not to look too obviously relieved. So the judge stamps my passport, hands it back to me, and I can leave. Um, I turn and walk out, not smiling, as it, I don't think it would be nice to be smiling as I leave for all those other stressed people in the room. And I really only allow myself to relax once I'm on the next flight, seatbelt on, and the wheels are off the ground. Um, so probably a few lessons I've learned from this experience. One, what is good for one person may not be good for another. So now I particularly like to fly through LA, not from through San Fran, because LA tends to go, yes, just go through. Uh, at US immigration, only ask for what is possible. Uh, that even a New Zealand diplomatic passport cannot protect you from feeling alone and powerless. And probably lastly, I am really thankful to the series The Flight of the Concords, as this has really educated the US on how innocent and harmless we as Kiwis really are. My good friend Ty, what a dude, eh? Good times. So, uh, um, I spent about a year in England when, uh, shortly after the terrible flatmate situation, uh, my partner and I went to England for a year and we lived in a place called Bedford. Um, don't go there. Um, <laughs> uh, we lived there because he got a job there and we didn't know beforehand that living in Bedford was going to be terrible. Um, uh, but we lived there and I spent some time trying to work through um, uh, through like an agency because I had one of the working visas where you could – working holiday visas. So I could work for 12 months but stay for two years and trying to find work when you can't – you cannot work for more than 12 months was quite difficult. Um but I had this interaction once with a uh, a, um, a deco agent woman who, uh, as I was filling in paperwork, she was like, "Oh, you're from New Zealand. Oh, you uh, you got kangaroos there." And I was very polite. I was like, "Oh no, um, that's Australia. We're very similar, um, but um, uh, we're quite close together." But yeah, New Zealand pretty much like we just have birds. That's our thing. We have a lot of birds. Um, Australia's got crazy animals. We just have birds. And she was like, oh, right, right, right. You got kangaroo. Uh, no, you got kangaroo. You got crocodiles. No, you got crocodiles. And I was like, no, because uh, a crocodile is not a bird. Um, 
a crocodile is a that's Australia again. The dangerous animals are in Australia, and New Zealand literally like we just have birds. That's our sheep, but our thing, like like our native thing, is birds. And she was like, oh, of course, of course, of course. And we filled in the paperwork a bit more. And then she said, but you've got snakes, though. <laughs> and so I said, yes. <laughs> yeah, we got, yeah, we got snakes. That's the thing we've got. Thank you for listening, ma'am. Um, are you ready for the last uh, story of the night? Great. She is uh, a good friend of mine again. This is how I find people. I'm friends with them. But uh, um, she is the founder and CEO, chief bubble blower is I think your preferred title, um, of Pledge Me. Uh, and a pretty amazing woman. And she helped, um, she helped found uh, Women Who Get Shit Done, which is this sort of big conference thing that will be happening again next year, right? Yeah. Um, she's awesome. Her name is Anna Gunther. So this is my story about how a joke about a onesie gave me a platform to talk about gender equality. It started in 2013. Uh, my boyfriend at the time bought me a panda onesie because we had this joke about pandas. I don't know if you know, but did you know they actually make porn for pandas? Because they, they just don't get it on. And for some reason, pandas became a joke between us and he bought me this onesie. Um, and one time... <laughs> Late at night, I actually accidentally peed on the onesie because it's really hard to take onesies off when you're going to the bathroom. Um, but uh, this onesie then, after being washed thoroughly, came into the office with me. Um, and we started used to wear... We, we wore them in the office, and I think it was partially because it got quite cold in there sometimes, um, but also partially because we were a tech startup and no one actually really ever saw us unless we went outside. And so one time I was talking to a journalist, and it was in 2014, and she was asking me these questions, and somehow I decided it would be funny to tell her that it was onesie Wednesday in the office. And she thought that was hilarious. She was like, can you take a photo of that? And I was like, yeah, I can take a photo of anything. So we took a photo of us with our onesies on playing table tennis, because, again, that's what you do in a tech startup. Um, so this picture of the three of us all in our onesies and Jen was in a dragon and Jackson was a dinosaur and I was a panda sort of adjudicating the table tennis. Um, and we sent this picture off and the story that she wrote ended up referencing the onesies and put the picture in and we got a little bit of coverage but nothing major. Um, but a few months later I got picked as one of the top entrepreneurs in New Zealand of 2014 and I think it was all because of the onesie. I think that they remembered me as journalists because they'd had this funny picture of the onesie and they just wanted to use it again. And so there was this article about me being one of the top entrepreneurs in New Zealand of 2014, um, which again, I probably forgot about because again, it's just random media coverage. Um, but a few months later in 2015, they decided to interview me for an article. They wanted to write an article on where you were 10 years ago and what you thought the big problem that we needed to solve in New Zealand over the next 10 years was. And they interviewed 10 different people around New Zealand. And my article that I wrote was talking about the thing that I was concerned about 10 years ago was the price of beer. You know, they put the pint night beers up a dollar at refuel. And that was a very big thing for me at the time. Um, but the next 10 years, I thought the biggest challenge that we had was actually uh, gender equality in New Zealand. There's a lot of issues, um, as many of you have probably heard me say before, uh, the number of women in technology over the last 20 years has gone down by 20%. Uh, the number of women on, in senior leadership positions in New Zealand um, 
has declined in the last year as well. And so I was talking about these things, you know, big things, um, and it made the front cover, as well as the other nine people they'd interviewed. And someone took a picture of the front cover and tweeted about it, and they were like, it's really interesting that someone was talking about gender inequality being the big thing over the next 10 years when Ideologue couldn't even get gender equality on their front cover. Only 30% of the people they interviewed were women. Uh, and so someone tweeted this, and I responded, and we were like, hey, Ideologue, you know, what's, what's up? Like, where are the ladies at? And Ideologue came back and said, we couldn't find any women. To which I responded, I've got all the ladies. Like, if you need women, I'll find you women. Like, this is easy. And so we decided to crowdsource a list. So we just created a Google document, went out there, and in about three days, we had 500 names of inspiring women in New Zealand. And Ideologue was like, ooh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't be that easy. Uh, and so they started interviewing these women, and they actually implemented a policy. So they've decided in the future, it's not just gender diversity that they want, but diversity in general and the people they interview. And it was really great that they decided to implement that. But it was interesting for me, because, you know, on one hand, I just made a big stink about the fact that the media wasn't doing their job, and they weren't representing women in business in their um, magazine. And on the other hand, my board was all men and me. And it made me realize that actually I was a bit sexist. Um, I could talk about it in the media and I could talk about things that were really visible, but when I was making business decisions for some reason, I still defaulted to old white men. Uh, so I decided that that was a problem. You know, I can't just talk about other people. I have to solve my own shit. Uh, so we decided when one of our board members um, resigned that we'd go out and uh, try to fix that. And so we went out and we, um, I wrote a blog article that referenced Beyonce a little bit too much. Uh, who run the world, not girls. Uh, and went out and said, we'd really like women to apply for this role. So we went out and said, hey, this is what we need. These are the skills we'd really like women to apply. Because it turns out it's illegal to just ask women to apply for a job. Turns out. Um, and over the month that we had this job, or this position open, we had over 107 applications for the role. 52% of them were women. Four of them were dames. Um, but it was interesting, because when I showed the list to my board, one of my board members told me that he didn't think the women were as qualified as the men. To which I responded, have you actually looked at their LinkedIn profiles? And he was like, no, 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 I, I've read the, all the applications though. And I was like, but you didn't click through to what they've actually done, hey. And he's like, no, no, I just read what they wrote in their application about you know, why they wanted the job and what they could bring. It was really interesting because the women were, on a whole, more qualified than, than the men, but the women, when they applied, talked more about what they could do for the company than what they'd done in the past, whereas the men were more likely to talk about the roles they'd held in the past. And in the end, after doing a lot of interviews and a lot of discussions, um, we decided to appoint two people, and they're two women, which I was very excited about. Now it's 60% women on my board, and I was like, now I can actually talk about this and like not be the sexist, I've got this, uh, we're good. Um, which is great. And since then, um, we've done a lot of other work. Um, as Jen referenced, we've created an unconference for women in New Zealand, Women Who Get Shit Done. Um, we had over 400 applicants for that and had 120 women out in Tatum Park. Um, but I think the thing with that as well is we weren't just, you know, like there was no gender diversity there. It was just ladies. 
like 120 women, well, 115 women and five boys because we had women brought their children as well. Um, but the interesting thing with that is, again, we were like, okay, you know, we're really bad at this race thing. Like, normally if you do a conference or an unconference in New Zealand, you get women that look like me. Really loud white ladies, often with an American accent, um, who just put themselves forward for it. And so with this unconference, we were like, hey, so we really would like that not to happen. So we're, we're going to select people um, based on the diversity that they bring to the table. Um, and in the end, we had the ethnic representation of New Zealand there almost. So we had 10% um, Maori, 11% uh, Asian women. Um, and we had women say that it was the first time they actually felt like New Zealand was at an event instead of just all the white ladies. Um, so I think this is my very long-winded story about how wearing a onesie sometimes can actually do very powerful things. And it was actually something that I said, but it was also something that I wore. And it's something that we did. So I think, yeah, words can be really powerful sometimes. Thank you, Anna. And I'm going to throw in a plug for that woman who gets shit done because I went and it was spectacular. And um, there's a website which I believe is www.gsd.nz. You know, just Google women who get shit done. Um, if you want to sponsor it, people out in the world, feel free. Um, some sponsors apparently don't like it when there's the word shit in the title. They don't like it. They got they got grumpy about that. But it was an amazing experience. If you're a woman who gets shit done, sign up to be notified about it next time. If you're a dude who knows women who get shit done, put them in it. Um, hey, this has been the water cooler. This has been, was it something I said? If you think that you've got a story in you that you would like to share, please contact me, contact us. Um, our website is thewatercooler.co.nz. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Tune in, find the website, listen to past episodes. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs>